0: Today I want to talk about the cost of waiting. The cost of waiting. How many have heard the phrase, good things come to those who wait? How many ever heard that? Some may think it's in the Bible, but I assure you it is not. The phrase is originally from an old English proverb, all things come to those who wait. That's a real hunk of logic, isn't it? I mean, you know, all things come. Everything's going to come to those who wait. Abraham Lincoln refreshed it a bit by adding those, uh, that things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. I mean, Abe, he was with it. Um, That's what he said. Things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. And uh, I guess that would be getting the other people who were go-getters, getting the leftovers of what they left behind. There's no shortage of people who are hustling in our society today, in our world how many of you have ever heard the term hurry up and wait? Yeah. Hurry up and wait. Hurry up and get to the shortest checkout line. Then we'll wait to be next. Hurry up and get to the airport on time. Then we'll wait at the check-in counter. Here's one you can relate to. Hurry up to get to that gas station before they change the prices. Even if we have to wait for 20 minutes to fill up, it will be worth it. Yeah, you'll save like five bucks. I don't think anyone I know of likes waiting. But it's inevitable that you will spend time waiting. According to a Timex survey, and I've got this, I think, on the screen for you, Americans wait on the average of 20 minutes a day for the bus or the train if you live in a metropolitan area. 32 minutes when they visit the doctor. 28 minutes in security lines whenever they travel. 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. 13 hours annually waiting on hold for a customer, for a customer service representative. Your call is very important to us. 38 hours each year waiting in traffic. About 43 days on hold with automated customer service in one lifetime. Those who take a bus will wait about 27 days of their lives waiting around on the platform for a bus stop. Now, doesn't that make you feel tired of talking about all that waiting? There is a cost that is associated with waiting. You will give up something while you wait. While, we, while you are waiting, you may even think about all the things you could be doing instead of waiting. If I didn't have to wait, I would, I would go and do this. It's really something that you want to do that touches your emotions and your heart. If it is that and falls into that category, then you're willing to wait. Sometimes if it touches your wallet, you're willing to wait. You're willing to wait. Case in point, Black Friday. People are willing to wait. Annette is not a morning person. She is a night owl. She's always been that way. She gets up early if she has to, but most mornings she doesn't have to. So she doesn't. We were never... Black Friday shoppers because it's just too early in the morning and there will always be a deal somewhere. But one year, we decided we would do this, that the kids were, probably one of them was a teenager, maybe both. I don't think they were both teenagers, but they were young. And and Walmart had, and this was before internet was internet shopping was a thing Walmart had um, these razor scooters that were the hot item that year and they were I don't know $17 $25 something like that some ridiculously low amount lower than anybody else and so before Walmart was open 24 hours we waited in line before six o'clock in the morning And we were about 50 yards from the front door Mm -hmm. in the mist and probably 50-something degree weather. We're standing there waiting. They opened the doors, and by 610, I think it was, we got to the place where the scooters used to be. (laughs) And we thought, that's enough. And, you know, it's not something that we want to do, but we were willing to wait because we had an incentive to wait. The cost of waiting. The cost of waiting. I love looking up dictionary words uh, to see really what the meaning is. And I know we know what the meaning is, but a piece of good advice that my former pastor Marcus Alexander gave me in studying. He says, get a dictionary, just look up and see what these words mean and it'll be a real help as you're studying just a regular dictionary cost is an amount that has to be paid or spent to buy or obtain something to cause to pay or to lose something so an amount that has to be paid or spent to buy or obtain something weight means stay where one is Or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. Wait. That's what that is. In a spiritual context, there is a cost that must be paid in order to receive from God. There is a cost that must be paid. Jesus said it this way concerning salvation in Mark 8.34. Then he called the crowd... To take hold, take hold of eternal life, to which many of you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life. So living your life as a, uh, excuse me, I, I read the wrong verse, Mark eight thirty four. Then he called to the crowd. Let me back up. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. I was jumping over to Paul. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. It costs you something to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it will cost you something. Now, many people equate being a Christian. Well, I don't want to be a Christian because I will have to give up this and this and this and this. And I don't want to do that. And they look at life through that lens But what they fail to realize, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who truly trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then what we lose is minuscule in comparison to what we get. It is absolutely worth waiting for. It is absolutely worth the cost. It is absolutely worth the cost that we have to pay. And we say, I'm going to put my whole trust in you, Jesus Because you will save me from sin, from eternity uh, of damnation and torment and hell. And and, and some people may say, well, Pastor, you're just trying to get people scared into that. Listen, Jesus talked about hell a lot. And to say, well, we just shouldn't talk about those things. We don't want to think about the negativity. Let me tell you something. The positivity outweighs the negativity. But I believe we must, we must include the whole of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said it this way to Timothy, the verse I was reading a while ago when I should have been reading the other one, 1 Timothy six twelve says, Fight the good fight of faith, Take hold of eternal life, which means that you have to grab hold of it. You have to take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life. That's what we must do. Take hold of eternal life. Well, how can you do that? I'm glad you asked. We have to take hold of it. Our relationship with the Lord is in many ways, there's a lot of parallels in a marriage relationship. And so it's one thing to go down to the altar and say, I do. But it's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to hold on to and defend my relationship with my wife because it is worth everything to me. And so holding on to your profession of faith is more than just saying I'm going to say a prayer and commit my life to Jesus Christ and say Lord I want your forgiveness. What many people fail to realize is many times they go to the altar and they have a repent they have a, a an emotional moment and they say I'm I'm sorry for my sins and I feel the conviction power of the Holy Spirit but they're not really tra- taught about true repentance. They're not really taught that That yes, what you have is powerful, it's great, and it's precious. And Jesus said, you must deny yourself to follow me. And many people forget about that. They don't either that or they're not taught that. And I'm here today to tell you that Jesus gives you the grace not only to save you, but to save you from your sin so that you won't live in sin anymore. He saved us from our sin, not in our sin. And so we have to hold fast the profession of our faith. We have to hold fast our relationship with Jesus Christ because it is a precious faith. It is absolutely a precious faith. Hold fast to the faith that you profess. Living your life as a follower of Jesus Christ will cost you. But our heavenly Father has given the priceless gift of his son that he sent to die for our sins. He was crucified, resurrected on the 3rd day, his only begotten son. Remember what the definition of weight Great when you have your pages mixed up, isn't it? I've been up here before and had missing pages, so we're good. As you lay aside the old way of life and, and an act of true repentance, you can know that you can walk each day in the newness of your faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. How many know that He makes all things new? Amen. I've seen some of these shows where They've taken an old car that really looked pretty pitiful and they've taken it to people who knew what they were doing and they made it just like new. I mean, you couldn't tell the difference. It looked probably better than it did when it sat on the showroom originally. And it was a powerful transformation. Can I tell you that He takes everything that's old and everything that's worn out and everything that shouldn't be and He takes and He does a complete restoration in our lives. That's exactly what He does. We can walk in the newness of our faith. There is more to our life in Christ than just repenting of our sin and accepting Christ. There is so much more. He wants to empower us for His service through the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing is, is that many people get so wrapped up in me and my struggles and my challenges that they never get past that. They're so wrapped up in my life, my crisis, my circumstances, and can I tell you that While we will all have life challenges, we will all have struggles, we will all have things that we have to deal with, the Lord gives you the grace not only to have forgiven you from your sins, but the grace to keep you each and every day. And so the things that make you strong and the enemy of your soul will try so hard to keep you from doing this. He will try to keep you from reading the Word of God. Remember a while ago we said in the prayer guide, And if you didn't get one when you came in, just pick one up before you leave. All month we're going to be praying. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Only 6%. Which means that how they view life is not through the lens of the Word of God. We have many, even people who sit in congregations across this nation Who are biblically illiterate. They don't know what the word of God says. And we must know what the word of God says. When we know what the word of God says. You read your Bible every day. You pray every day. And you go to church as often as possible. So that you can be encouraged by other believers. And you can have that fellowship. And you can have those people that will stand around you. And stand with you. When you're going through those crisis moments. When you're going through life's challenges. When you're going through things that just take the wind out of your sales when you have those those things those people around you life will be so much better when you have the word of God life will be so much better when you have a prayer life that that is uh, a consistent you will have a life that is so much better and then you get to the place where you just stop thinking about my situation and what I'm going through all the time and you get the place where the lord says i want to take you to the next level and the next level is empowerment for his service so that you can reach others with the good news of what god has done in your life he has done so much i've looked over at annette periodically and i said god has been so good to us he has been so good to us he has been so faithful And Job put it this way, going through all of the things that he was going through. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mm -hmm. If he never did anything else for me personally in my life, I would say he has still been good and he is faithful. Today is Pentecost Sunday. What is Pentecost? I'm glad you asked. Pentecost was the third feast of the Jewish sacred year and was celebrated on the sixth day of the month of Sivan, which is June. It is sometimes referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Day of First Fruits and the Feast of Harvest. The name Pentecost, which means 50th, indicates the 50 days between the celebration of the Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. The feast is described, if you want to look at it, in Deuteronomy chapter 16. The priest in the name of the congregation would offer and wave two loaves of unleavened bread made from newly harvested grain. The people were admonished to share in the feast by bringing the first fruits, the very first yields of their crop as of their product as an offering. To the Lord. And if you remember from Easter, how that Jesus shared the Lord's Supper or Passover with his disciples just before his crucifixion. Now we're at the timeline for the Feast of Pentecost. So, about 50 days later, this would be the backdrop for what was about to happen in the Bible and what is referred to as the Day of Pentecost. And I want to read, we're going to do a lot of reading this morning. But Luke 24, 49, so after the crucifixion, the resurrection, and just before Jesus would leave this earth by way of ascension, he gave this command to his disciples in Luke 24, 49. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That meant, in other words, he told them to wait until something happens. If you remember our definition of wait, it's stay where one, it is stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. So wait, stay there. Stay there until you are, until you receive power. The disciples were to wait until something happens. And I want to stop there just for a moment. Because I think in our society today and in the church world, I've seen it. I've been in church just about all of my life except for some teenage years when I was away from God. But I grew up in the church And I can remember and see how people were so fervently committed to church attendance. They were so fervently committed to reading their Bible. They were so fervently committed to praying at home. They were so fervently committed to coming early and praying in church. And the first thing that you heard when you walked in the church was not people visiting, but you heard people at the altars crying out to God. You saw people who were willing to stay late after the service had already wound down, but yet there was something else that somebody wanted to get because there is power in proximity there is power in agreement and there is power when God's people come together it's just that way just the way that Jesus told them go together he didn't say go to your house and wait till something happens he said go together and wait until you are endued with power from on high that's what he told them and I think too many times in our culture today, in our mentality today, we get in such a hurry. We get in such a rush that we just, we're just so rushed in our busy lives and we have schedules and we have this to do and that to do and this to do. Can I tell you and remind you that there is a cost to waiting. There is a cost to waiting. It will cost you something. Yes, it means if you linger around the altars, you might be late for lunch there may be and I have purposed in my heart that if God is moving and God is doing so, and this goes back to before we were even pastors before we were in church leadership that if God was doing something around the altars if one person was getting touched around the altars and there was God was moving that meant that he could also move in my heart and in my life and I didn't want to leave prematurely because I wanted to get if God was overflowing and God was moving I wanted to receive what God was doing because he, no No respecter of persons. If he does one thing, if he does it for one person, he'll do it for another. The Holy Spirit flows through the willingness of his people to receive. The disciples had to wait there until something happened. That's what he told them to do. They didn't have to, but that's what he told them to do. But I had this fishing trip planned for quite some time. Doesn't Jesus know about that? Well, it will be okay. He'll understand. I've got to help my friend shear his sheep. They're getting really wooly. What if the disciples had that attitude? In the natural, they certainly could have have given in to temptation to do something else rather than what Jesus told them to do. Rather than what Jesus told you to do. The problem is many times that the word of God, I think sometimes challenges people to the point where they they know what the word says, but they're afraid to know more of what the word says because they've had problems with what they've heard of the word so far. Because the word challenges them to do things that they don't want to do or they don't feel comfortable doing. Can I tell you that God challenges us all of our lives, if we are willing to be used by God, this word will challenge us to do things and to grow in areas that we've never even thought about before. I could never have imagined as a young man that I would be pastoring a church, standing in front of people and leading in the way that I have. And there have been, there have been times where it's like, Lord, I, I don't know exactly what you want to do. I don't know exactly what the next step is going to be. I don't know what you're what you're wanting to do in our church. I don't know what you're wanting to do in our lives. But I know this, that God's going to do something. I know that the devil is fighting more than he's ever fought before. We've been your pastors here for 16 years. And I have never seen the devil fight as hard as he's fighting right now. He is absolutely fighting. Wednesday nights, we've been going out into our communities and we've been engaging people in conversations just that we see. Not been going door to door, but as we see people out, we've been talking with them and we've been been letting them know that, hey, we're here and we care. There was a couple that we encountered last Wednesday night and there may be some that might feel intimidated about talking to people that don't look a particular way. But there was a man and a, and a lady that were just about to get into their car. And we kind of said hi to him. And, uh, and Nick stepped up and he said, hey, my name is Nick. And he stuck his hand out to him and he shook his hand and said his name was Alex. Alex was covered in tattoos, head all the way down. And as we began to talk, He began to open up and just was, it was a real, real powerful and friendly exchange. And we were talking about what we're trying to do in reaching children on Wednesday nights. Getting the kids to come in and minister to them so we have songs and music and snacks and and, uh, lessons from the word of God. Because I believe it is incumbent upon the church to reach the young generation, the youngest generation's because many families are overwhelmed and the lady spoke up and she says I have a 4 year old and I said well they would be absolutely be welcome you guys are welcome to come now, I don't know if they'll come or not but they live in the neighborhood about four streets that way and about a, well they live well we went down horseshoe hill didn't we went around horseshoe hill last last week and that's where that's where they were but God is doing something. As I was leaving the house this morning, I was pondering over in my mind all the different things that, that I would love to see happen in our church and the things that the devil is fighting so much at. And Annette has a, she has scriptures pasted on our walls at, at home. She bought these decals and she's got them put up in different places. And right, and she just put this one. She just moved this one when just a few weeks ago. Uh, a few weeks ago, we moved this one to above the door. There didn't used to be a scripture there, and there is now. And I was waiting on it to get ready this morning, and I looked up, and that scripture just spoke volumes to me, and it said, "With God, all things are possible." I many know that with God, all things are possible. But just imagine these disciples, these words. Uh, that, that Jesus spoke to them to go and wait until you're filled with power. And then I can imagine that in the back of their mind, they're hearing words they'd heard Jesus say before. John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love Jesus, you'll do what the word of God says. You'll do what Jesus said, do. That's absolutely true. It's still true today. And then Jesus added this, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him for he lives With you and will be in you. Talking about the Holy Spirit that he is going to ask the Father to send. This is what, this was the time right before Jesus ascended. He told his disciples, go into this place and wait until something happens. But he had already told them before that he would ask the Father, do what I've told you to do. And I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And he will live with you and be in you. In the book of Acts, Luke, the author, reflects again on what Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. His former book was the book of Luke. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen, after His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of uh, 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem... And here it is, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. There it is again, wait. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. Power. Come on, say it better than that. Power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to look at this verse. Jesus gave them the command to wait, and He gives the result of what would happen if they waited—that they would receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How many know the Holy Spirit comes on you? He fills you up from the inside out, and the purpose is is so that you can be witnesses both here in Jerusalem, which is your immediate area, and in Judea, Judea which is the larger area. And I find it interesting that He included Samaria. Area because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. There was a disdain for them. They would go three days out of their way not to go through Samaria when they were taking a journey. That's how much dis, distrust and dislike they had for the Samaritans. So Jesus told them, I will give you power to witness even the places where you would not even consider going and to the ends of the earth, meaning he's everywhere else this would be the plan of God for their lives so that they would receive the power to tell others about Jesus. And when we get out of our comfort zone, when we get out of the zone of of having to worry about us, we can say, Lord, I want to be used by you. And as we take in the word, as we spend time in prayer, as we attend church regularly and faithfully, then we realize that as we do those things that God challenges us to go to the next step. After this, verse 9, he, after this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky where, as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. Hallelujah. That's the promise that Jesus is coming back in case you wondered. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. So they went back to where Jesus told them to go. From the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, which is a little more than half a mile. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They decided to stay there. That's where Jesus They were staying there. That's where they were. And Jesus told them to go there. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined. Here it is together. Constantly in prayer. They joined constantly in prayer. Along with the women. Women were considered a different class of people in that culture. Men were usually the ones that were counted whenever they gave the counts of how many people were in multitudes. They usually only counted the men because they really didn't. Women weren't involved in normal transactional business things and they were just kind of, They were in the culture in that way. But he purposely included along with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So there was 120 people gathered in this room. The cost of waiting was obedience to the commands of Jesus. The cost of waiting was joined together with other believers to have a singleness of focus. So we don't have 120 people gathered together thinking about all these other things that they've got to do, the sheep shearing and the crop tending and all these other things. They've got one purpose in mind. They've got one focus in mind, and that is to get what God promised them, what Jesus promised them, that the Father would send them how would it be and i've been in some church services where it has been so powerful where no one in the church was distracted and everyone was had their mind focused upon the lord that when god began to move everybody just stopped what they were doing they stopped thinking about this and they said oh god's moving in the house i've got to just take it in i've got to press in and i've got to realize if, let me tell you, if somebody said, I've got a hundred dollars for everybody that comes up here today, there would be a mad dash for everybody in this house to get a hundred dollars. And I'm going to give them out as long as people keep coming. Can I tell you that there is something much more valuable than money that is available from the very throne room of heaven. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Pentecost that is still yet active and alive today and God wants to still give it out to his people if we will just have the focus of I've got to get to where the glory of God is I've got to press in because I want to receive what God has for me today I might start preaching here in a minute Acts chapter 2 Verse number one: When the day of Pentecost came, here it is again. They were all together in one place. They're still there. Scholars and, and even in the reading, because it said Jesus was uh, when 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 Luke was writing this said for forty days, uh, you know, people were uh looking at Jesus and watching him so it's thought that perhaps even up to 10 days they could have been there waiting they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them everybody say all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? See, they were there, most of them, for the Feast of Pentecost. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phygeria, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But look at what verse 13 says. Some, of, some however, made fun of them. Some made fun of them. Nobody likes to be made fun of. But let me tell you this. I don't think that any of those 120 that were filled that day cared anything about what anybody else was saying because they were so full of God that they were just overflowing and they were declaring what God had done. They were declaring the works of God, the Scripture tells us. That's what they were doing. How would it be that if we just got to the place where we stopped caring what somebody else thinks about what we believe in Jesus Christ? It would be powerful. And some said, well, they've had too much wine. They've been drinking. That tells me that they must have been acting a bit peculiar as well. How would you even think that somebody was drunk? Well, maybe they're a little bit unsteady on their feet. Maybe they're swaying a little bit. Maybe maybe something's going on. And, 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 and But they weren't drunk on the natural wine. They were drunk on the new wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes back beautifully and tells how Joel had predicted this hundreds of years before. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. There it is again, all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Men and women are going to prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. It's a reminder that these signs are yet to come. So this was kind of a dual prophecy. One is for the day of Pentecost. One is for uh, when Jesus comes back literally to establish his kingdom. And these signs will happen. Verse 21, he says And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is the key. When you get saved, when you are saved from sin, then the next promise that you should, should look at is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In verse 36 of the same chapter, Of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children. And for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the verse that tells us that all whom the Lord our God will call. How many know that God is still calling people today? He's still calling people today in ministry. He's still calling people today to do His work. He's still calling people today to touch To touch lives for all eternity. He's still calling people to do that. As long as he's still calling people. He's still empowering people for his service. You and I are called. We have all been called to do the work of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. Once we've done that. In the name of Jesus into Jesus, into the fellowship with Christ. Once we have done that, then we have set the stage to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we can be empowered for service. And there is a cost that is involved. It's the cost of waiting. It's not a microwave, but it's a crockpot. It's not. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say that God can't fill somebody just like that because I've seen him do it. But usually what has happened when God fills somebody with the Holy Spirit just like that, it's because they've had this longing in their heart and in their soul. They've been seeking and they've been searching out the Scriptures and they've gotten to the place where they have just said, I need more of God and now I want to be filled. And I've seen the Lord do that. I've seen others as they've waited and they waited and they've waited on the Lord. And they didn't get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit right away, but there was a progression. That happened, but because their focus was Godward, because we don't seek the gift, we seek the gift giver. Are you willing to pay the cost of waiting on the promise Jesus gave that he would send the Holy Spirit to you? Are you willing to pay the cost by putting everything else aside that will try to keep you from that will try to get your attention away from the things of God? If you will pay the cost of waiting, seeking and seeking after and praying to the Lord for him to have his way in your life, he will do just that. He will infill you and he will empower you so that you can be used greatly by him to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around you that desperately needs a savior. And they do need a savior. I want to stand before God knowing that I have done everything that I could for the Lord. Now, I've made some mistakes. I've had opportunities that I didn't take advantage of. There were opportunities to minister to people and I failed at those opportunities because I didn't try. But God is loving and he is faithful. And it's just as you learn from mistakes, you learn to hear the voice of the Lord. I was working from home earlier this week, and I was listening to a message that Pastor Robert Morris was giving. And there was a story that he shared that really blessed me. And what he said was he had gone to New Zealand I don't know if he was there to speak at a conference or to be there or what, but he was there because of a church function at a church in New Zealand. And he and his wife were having dinner at a restaurant. And one lady came out and and took their order. And then they never saw her again. Another lady finished waiting on them, serving them. But he kept having a nudge in his spirit that he needed to talk with that lady that they had first seen. And he kind of put it aside a little bit. Then when he got out to the parking lot, he said it became stronger. And he said, I got to go back in. And so he asked, he said, is the lady that originally took our order, is she still here? And said, yes, she's on her break. He said, but I'd like to speak with her for just a moment. And so she came out and he said, I'm very sorry to interrupt your break. He said, but he said, I just went for broke. He said, you know, you can't always, you can't always really tell people everything that the Lord tells you. But he said, I just felt like God wanted me to talk to you and invite you to church. He said, tears started welling up in her eyes because her and her husband had moved to New Zealand from the States and had only been there just, I think, a few months And they had just talked about how they didn't know anybody. And they made the comment, well, well, if maybe if we found a church to go to, then we could meet some people. And she says, neither one of us have ever attended church, but that's kind of what we thought. And she says this morning on my way to work. I said, Lord, I don't even know if you're real. But if you're real, you can have somebody invite me to church. And Robert Morris was that man that invited her to church. You see, the Holy Spirit causes you to be receptive to the things of God. And I would venture to say that if you're receptive to the things of God, and you do what God wants you to do, then you don't have to be as concerned about the things in your life and the things that are going on. That doesn't mean that you don't have to be concerned about them and you have to handle situations. But what it means is that as long as you take care of what God wants in your life, He's going to take care of what's going on in your life. And so I'm going to ask you just to surrender to what the Lord wants to do this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer with our online folks as well, and then we're going to let them go, and then we're going to have a time of prayer here in the house. Prayer is absolutely important, and tonight at 5.30 we've got a get-together that we're having. It's a strategic prayer planning session, and we're going to plan how this church can have more prayer and be targeted and more specific in our prayers And I would invite you to be a part of that tonight at 530. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for reminding us about what you have done for us. That You've challenged us to listen to your word and to do what your word says, to obey the commandments of the Lord. Jesus, you're so important to us. Lord, we ask you first and foremost to be Lord and Savior of our life because that is the first thing that you told, that Peter told the crowd that was listening in that day, and that was to repent. Lord, we want to repent. We want to turn away from every wrong, every sin in our lives. And we say, God, forgive us of all of the things that we have been guilty of, that we have done against others and against you. We ask for forgiveness because that sets the stage to where we know that all things are gone and the new has come. The newness of Christ has come and it sets the stage for us to be able to receive from you. Lord, we don't want to, to serve you in a way that is to where you're, we're closed off to what your desires and your wishes are in our lives. And so we want to eagerly look toward you. And today we do that. Lord, we thank you because there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's deliverance in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you give us the power to overcome all the works of the enemy. You said that in your word and we proclaim it here today in each life. I praise you for it and I thank you for it. Lord, to everyone that is listening and watching today, I ask a powerful move of the Holy Spirit as they purpose to seek you in the prayer closet. They purpose to seek you as they read the Word of God. They purpose to seek you, Lord, as they, they are able to come and attend church in person. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would just come down into that place of prayer, into that place of study, and, Lord, into this place of worship lord that we will experience the fullness of what you want to do in our lives and we thank you for it and we praise you for it in jesus name amen amen